I want to talk today, in fact, I've titled this message, To Walk Out of the Tomb. Because I feel that there are those here who are in bondage to their past, to their hurts, to their fears, to their uncertainties. And I believe I can give you some guidance from the word that the Holy Spirit has given to me to be able to help you walk out of those areas. The songs to me have already reaffirmed that. And so I want us to start with John 3.16. Very familiar verse of scripture for most every one of us in this room. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, and I want you to note that word, condemn, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes, and I want you to make note of that word, believes in him is not condemned. So the key to living without condemnation is believing. I want you to say out loud, Lord, I believe. Lord, I, believe. I, choose to believe. I choose to believe. Every word that you speak into my heart. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. One of the things that the Holy Spirit was talking to me about in the last weeks is that we can love the world without being or loving worldliness. That's the first thing he says here in this passage of scripture. For God so loved the world, but he never became worldly. I challenge you as believers in Christ, separate yourself from worldliness. You don't have to live like the world to be accepted by the world. You need to live like Christ and allow his life to live in you. It was an interesting thing that God began to deal in my heart about this. I only recently realized that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so loved the world that they sent his only begotten Son. That means to me that Jesus was part of the process of determining to come to this earth. It was not just the Father. I used to think that the Father, God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the implication that the scripture gives to us here, the word God simply means the Godhead, the supreme divinity, so loved God and so, so much love within their heart that Jesus even said, Father, I'll go. And the Holy Spirit said to him, Father, I'll go with him. It wasn't just the Father's decision to send Jesus Christ to this earth. They made a corporate decision to follow the heart of what God is really all about. That's one of the premises that we have to understand is that the principle behind all of what God stands for is that the innocent always suffer for the guilty. 
always suffer for the guilty. That's why you and I share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Because of the fact that as we share in his sufferings, we are bringing hope to the world. The world needs to see how Christians suffer. That's part of the reason why you're persecuted. That's part of the reason why you have trials and temptations. It's because God wants the world to see that even if difficult times, I am still God and I still lead my children and I still lead those who love me and give their heart after me. So I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to focus on the suffering, but instead so focus on the possibilities that God is bringing you and allowing you. Something good is going to happen. Something good is about to take place. Now Romans 1 through 3 concludes that all of us are under sin. Every one of us that sat in this room or sit in this room or will sit in this room have one thing in common. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter. There's something about every one of us. We're all on that same level. And often these three chapters... Romans 1, 2, and 3 are used to judge people. We will never reach people for Jesus Christ by putting them under condemnation. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That if they will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall, save, they shall be saved. There's two pr promising scriptures that are within those first three chapters that really need to be our focus. Rather than looking at how God is judging the immoral and the corrupt that is in the world around us. And these are the two verses I want us to highlight. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. My challenge is not to tell you how much you have sinned or how bad you have sinned. My challenge is to give you the opportunity to believe. I believe in Jesus. And I believe the word that he speaks into our hearts and he speaks to our lives. The second verse that I believe that is important in these three chapters is the fact that it says in Romans 2.4, knowing that the goodness, that is the kindness of God, brings us to repentance. It's not how well we can condemn those or, or judge those who are outside of the faith. Rather, how much kindness and goodness can we show them that's going to bring them to a repentant heart? It doesn't say, for God so judged the world that he gave his only son for those who will come under condemnation might be free. We're all under condemnation. But to him who believes, he is set free from that condemnation. You see, when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, everything that God made was good, according to chapter 1, verse 31. Everything he made was good. You know why it was good? Because God can only be good. 
Only God can be good. And when we put our faith and trust in God, in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we become that good product as well, if I may use that term. Because our God is a good God. And Romans begins to speak of the grace that is the goodness, knowing that the grace or the goodness of God brings us to repentance. You see, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is where grace begins. It's not where it ends. This is where grace begins. Every one of us comes short. Let's suppose you went down to the gas station this morning to fill up your car with gas, and it ran up over $80. Not unusual today. I put a half a tank of gas in my car this morning, and it was $54. That's for a half a tank. But you go to reach in your pocket for your billfold, and you realize you left it at home. I had this happen to me one time, not this morning, but it happened to me one time. I was in Plainfield when I was pastoring there, and I'd gone out and filled up with gas, and I didn't have my billfold with me, and I'd already put the gas in the gas tank, and I walked into the gas station, and the attendant said to me, because she knew me, she said, Howard, we'll cover you until you can come back with the cash. That's grace. That's what God is saying to you. You came up short. You didn't have enough to pay the bill. And God says, I'll cover you. I'll take care of it for you. I'll make up the difference for you. Don't worry about it. I'm your father. And he's a good father. I also want to say that where grace begins is the place where sin and failures and faults and shortcomings end. Genesis presents to us two forces in chapter 3. Actually, it's presented to us in, in the garden in chapter 1 because when he formed the trees and the plant life, in the midst of the garden, he put two trees, tree of life, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's not the point where he created evil. Evil existed before that, but what God says, in the midst of the garden, I have put a tree of life, and I have put a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which when you read, and you make the application, Adam disobeyed, he sinned, and death. So you could call that tree the tree of death. So there are true trees, basically, in the midst of the garden. There's a tree of life, and there is a tree of death. The tree of life is grace-driven, always has been, always will be. In fact, Revelation calls Jesus Christ the tree of life that is in the midst of that garden in heaven. And the river actually flows through him. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is is a tree of death. You shall surely die. And it's going to diminish your productivity. Adam was never as productive after he sinned as he was before. 
And you can follow through with any person in the scriptures. For instance, David, his reign was never the same after he sinned with Bathsheba and committed murder. He still reigned. God forgave and he still reigned. But he was never as productive afterward. Was he still successful? Yes. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil is also going to divide you from the tree of life because God says, I have to take you out of the garden and I'm going to put an angel to guard the garden so that you cannot get back in there to eat of that tree of life. You know why he did that? Because the desire in man after he has sinned is always to try to come back to what he was first. And had the sinful man ate of the tree of life, he would become eternally sinful. I don't say that off of my own. I say that because of Henry Morris. He's a book that I've been reading called The Infallible Proofs. He's a creation scientist. And he goes back and he deals with a lot of these things and he argues from the scientific realm of what would happen and how things transpired down through the ages. Interesting book. There's a companion book that I read just a few weeks ago called The um, Genesis Record and uh, shares some of the same thing by another creation scientist. Interesting information that is there. But the tree of knowledge is shame-driven the product that comes out of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is shame. The first thing that Adam and Eve did after they had sinned is they went and hid themselves for they were ashamed. That leads us to greater depravity. It leads us to breaking community. Adam and Eve now have friction between themselves. He did, she did. The snake did. And it began to break down that whole community that was in that garden. And it moves forward from that and it opens the depression doors. Where now there is a struggle within me between good and evil. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 7. The things that I would to do, I can't. The things I don't want to do, I can. There's this constant struggle. But I have good news for you because I'm going to walk you through that and show you that that is not where you have to be. You see, as I mentioned, the law is based on good and evil and it always demands a better performance. Judgment demands more judgment. More condemnation. And it cannot free us from our sins and our failures. It constantly is hammering at us for a better performance. And according to Paul, it is powerless to save. But grace is based on the tree of life. Now there's a myth that you hear a lot of Christians firmly believe, but it's a myth. They will make the statement, I am not under the law, but under grace. Most people, when they're making that, are making an excuse to stay in the tree of the good and knowledge and evil. They're saying, I'm under grace. I can live however I want to live. 
And you can't condemn me because I'm under grace. I want to tell you something. You're either under grace or you're under the law. You're either living in the tree of life or you're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is fully fulfilling and is satisfying and it gives life and it gives hope. It gives that future. The tree of knowledge of good and evil or the tree of death, if I may refer to that, is always telling you you've got to do something better than what you did. It's going to continually condemn you. So now let's see how Paul applies this to us in Romans. As I mentioned, he concludes all of us under shortcomings. When Jesus said to speak to this mountain and it shall be moved, he is really speaking to the governments that are behind the activities that are governing our lives. Whenever you see the word mountain, he says in the scripture, speak unto this mountain, it shall be cast into the sea. He is talking about the government that is standing behind your behaviors, your attitudes, your emotions, your thoughts. And he's saying to you, you need to speak to those mountains so that they will be moved now let me clarify a couple of things. The first mountain that you want to speak to is the mountain of God. Because when you come to Romans chapter 4, the first thing he says to us is that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Notice what it said to us in John chapter 3. Whosoever believes shall have everlasting life. Believe is the key operative word. And you have to say to God, you have to speak to God, and you say, Father, I believe your word. I believe that if I confess my sin, you will forgive me of my sin, and you will cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I believe. I believe in the power of the resurrection. I believe. And in your believing, you have to bind yourself to that truth. You have to choose to be part of that tree of life. Jesus, you are my one and only Savior. You are my only hope. And by doing that, you're choosing community. And when you choose community, there's two aspects of community you have to choose. It's just part of the process. If I choose God, I choose this community. The first community is I become part with God. He in me and I in you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. How did you get that love? You got that love by combining yourself with Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. The second part of that, you cannot choose God and not choose his family. We have a lot of people today who want to sit on the outskirts 
They want to be able to sit outside the church. I don't need the church. I can be a Christian and live on my own. Let me tell you something. It may happen for a while, but after a while, that love is going to grow cold. You're not going to have the same vibrancy outside of the body of Christ as you are within it. When I choose Christ, I chose his body. I chose to be in fellowship with his people that he fellowships with. And I need you. And unfortunately, you still need me. So I receive that grace. Father, I receive the grace given to me by believing. I accept grace. I gain access to grace by faith. It says to us in Romans chapter 4, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. What did he believe? God spoke to him and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house. I want to pause there for a moment. You have to also leave the father's house. Because the father of all of us in our sin is the devil. And you have to be willing to leave the father's house. And I want you to go to a land that I will show you. And in that land, I will make you the father of many nations. 25 years, Abraham walked and walked and walked. Sometimes his faith faltered. We know the story of Hagar. Said, well, I'll do this by my flesh. God's not going to give me a child, so I'll make sure I get a child through Hagar. Paul says in Galatians that Hagar was of the world, but Isaac was of God. It makes a difference. I have to leave the Father's house, I have to leave the world of darkness and walk after Christ. I have to believe his word, and then I have to walk in that word. I have to move forward. I can't stay stationary just in believing. Faith is putting action to what you believe. And that's the thing that he says to us in Romans chapter 5. Faith becomes the leveling field. It is where God pours his love into our hearts, according to verse 5. And faith then justifies us and brings us life, according to verses 16 through 18. So the second government that you speak to is to your strongholds. The first one is says, world, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving the life of worldness worldliness behind me and I am going to walk after Jesus Christ. I walk away from the father of lies and I walk toward the father of truth. And as I walk toward the father of truth, more revelation is brought to us through the word and through his, his 
revelation to us. And he's going to lead us in that path, and that's what you find in Romans chapter 5. Chapter 6 in Romans tells us that I have to live in the risen Christ. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Common phrase that I hear often and you've heard it often. Jesus died for my sin. And that is an absolute truth. But don't stop there. You've got to move to the next place. And that is, I rise with Christ. I am risen. Not only have you got faith, now Paul is telling you, now rise up in what God has spoken to you. Believe it and walk in it. Begin to proclaim it. Begin to, to be seeing the opportunities that God is bringing into your path to give you that resurrection, to give you that oath that's going to move you up to that next level. You are risen with Christ. Notice what Paul says elsewhere. I believe it's in the book of Galatians. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I am risen in Christ Jesus. So you need to loose yourself from the bondage of the law. You need to loose yourself. That's chapter 7. Chapter 6 is saying you have been raised with Christ. Stop living in the deadness that has been perverted to you, that has been given to you, that said you died to your sin, but now rise in your life in chapter 6. In chapter 7, he is saying to you, loose yourself from the bondage, from the law. The law says you're short. The law is saying you're always going to come up short. You're never going to accomplish what God is asking you to do. If you're going to live in chapter 6, you have to move into chapter 7, where the things that you don't want to do are the things you're going to stop doing. And the things that you want to do are the things that you're going to start doing. That's resurrection. That's power of Jesus Christ living in you. You were raised with him. So you need to speak and say, Father, I'm receiving the spirit of life. I am receiving what you have provided for me. Yes, put to death your past. He paid for your sin. But Romans chapter 8 says, walk in your resurrection. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. What does that mean? Who is the conqueror? 
It's Jesus Christ. He conquered sin, hell, death, the grave. And you are more than a conqueror. Why? Because you are standing in Jesus Christ and you're doing the things that he said that you would do. Greater things than these shall ye do because I go to the Father. He's not talking about just in, in abilities He's and in quantity. He's talking about through the course of your life, you can have more impact. And it's multiplied billions over through all who have believed throughout the ages. That's why he says, you will do more than I ever did. Why? Because he's talking about the fact that the end results of your testimony, the end results of your life, the end result of how God has worked in your heart and your life is saying to a world around you, the average person influences 60 people So it looks like there's probably close to 100 people here this morning. You multiply that by 60. You have 6,000 people. No, 60,000 people. That you and I are going to influence when we leave this place today. Some of it's going to be family. Some of it's going to be friends. Some of it's going to be co-workers. Do you know what you have the opportunity to do? And this is not condemnation. This is life. You have the opportunity to influence them toward Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity to say, let me introduce you to my friend. So these are the things that God says to us. Believe. Lord, I believe. I want you to say it this morning. Lord, I believe. The second thing I want you to say is this. Lord, I receive. I receive your grace to make up the difference in what I cannot do, you can do. Lord, I receive. Receive that grace this morning. Some of you may be in that chapter 6 today. And you are struggling in the things that you don't want to do and the things that you want to do you can't. And you're struggling in that little area of your life because you're still living in Romans chapter 6. You've now moved into chapter 7 or chapter 8. And God is saying to you this morning, today is your day. This is your opportunity to be able to, to move into that dimension that I have provided for you in Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I'm going to ask our anointers that have been prepared for this morning's service if you'd come and stand here at this altar. Because I believe there are people in this room who God has already spoken to you and said, I need that grace that God is offering to me. He is saying to you, I'm going to cover you. I'm going to cover your transgressions. I'm going to cover your faults. I'm going to cover your shortcomings. I'm going to make up the difference in your life so you can stand tall and you can stand firm in who you are because you are risen in Christ. And so if the anointers will come and join with me, please, at this altar. And as the worshipers are leading us in worship,
I want you to get up out of your seat. And if you are bound by a sin, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this morning is an opportunity for you to come and say, I received the grace of God to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I believe in Jesus. Those of you who are struggling with areas of sin in your life, or you're struggling with areas uh, of of things that you wish were behind you and you're under condemnation, you're under judgment. God is saying, that's not where I want you to be. I want you to be free because you walk in the resurrection. You don't walk in the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. You walk in the tree of life. I want you to get up out of your seat and I want you to come down and pray with one of these individuals that are standing here to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to bring freedom and release to you and allow the Holy Spirit to come and say, today is the day of resurrection in my life. I'm going to rise above this struggle today. It might be a struggle even with finances. It might be a struggle with, with your own sexuality. It might be a struggle with, with your companionship, the, the ability to be able to get along with people. It doesn't matter what that struggle is. God is saying to you, I have made the way for you. I am the resurrection and the life. So I'm going to ask that as these worshipers lead us in worship, you'll begin to make your way to those who are gathered here. And allow yourself to be prayed for. Jesus, sets the captive free. I believe in Jesus. Thank you.